Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. I realize, of course, that that is an unconventional way to start the show, but those of you who have been listening to this podcast for however many years it's been going now, 2016, what year is it? Over, yeah, coming up on 12 years now this podcast is running, I think there would be an expectation that I address the key issue of the week. It would have been remiss of me, wouldn't it, to to overlook something which gave us all that much joy. And in this crazy old world we're living in right now, where so much feels wrong, so much feels like it's out of control, out of our hands, it's like watching a, a car crash about to happen in slow motion, and we can all see the car crash, and we can all see the two cars coming together, and there's, a, there's kind of a button there that we could push. And if we push the button, the car crash wouldn't happen, but nobody's pushing the button and everything is, it's crazy and nobody quite knows why or how all this has happened and we're feeling discombobulated. It's hard to, to understand that all the things we thought we knew are no longer true somehow, that the, the world has pivoted on its axis. Up is down and down is up and left and right are not the same as they were and oh, it's crazy. It is crazy. But the one thing that we can hold on to folks. The one thing we can take as red, the one thing that will be our anchor in this topsy-turvy world that we live in right now is Jose Mourinho's third season at a club. It is like the sun rising in whichever side it rises and sets in whichever side it sets, east and west. Oh, there's the dogs. But you just know, don't you, that that summer... As he heads into his third season in charge, he'll start complaining. 
he'll be moaning, he'll be miserable, he'll be unhappy, he'll find fault with, well, pretty much everything, and then shit will start to unravel. Now, I have to say, I thought it might take a little bit longer this time around, but he's had this transfer standoff with Manchester United, Ed Woodward, their chief executive, the guy with a head like a a badly washed potato. He's basically in a power play with Mourinho, and Mourinho knows that he's not going to win. He, Mourinho's not interested in the power play, you see. Mourinho's interested in making sure that that the blame goes somewhere else so he can talk about not being given transfers, he can talk about all the other things, he's not being backed by the board, and you can understand why the board might not want to back him, but Mourinho just, you know, he's just signed a new contract. He knows he's going to get the payoff. And what they're doing is amazing. It's basically self-sabotage. And normally when one party is trying to sabotage something, the other party tries to stop that. But what's happening here is Woodward is sabotaging the manager because he doesn't back the manager, and Mourinho is sabotaging everything else alongside him, and Manchester United are the ones that are imploding. So not only do we get Mourinho having a meltdown, it's terrible for Manchester United too. And apart from, like, Manchester United fans, who doesn't love that? I love that, and I especially love Mourinho having his little meltdown because of what happened during the week, you know. We have to, of course, divorce ourselves a little bit from the fact that it was that lot that beat Manchester United. What was the score again? 3-0. 3-0. What was it again? 3-0. 3-0, yeah, thank you. You're very emphatic there. Uh, We have to separate that part from it because that's not good. Them winning is never good. But sometimes it takes something bad to happen for something good to happen. Like imagine a young lad, a tearaway, he's a bit of a, a rapscallion, he gets, he gets arrested for some minor offence and it puts him on the straight and narrow and somewhere down the line, having gone through college and university and done his PhD and his masters, he finds a cure for Phil Collins. And much like Tottenham winning, oh, what was the score? 3-0. 3 nil. 3 nil. 3-0. Much like them winning 3 nil. that's the bad thing, but the good thing was Jose Mourinho's post-match press conference where he walked walked out going, respect, respect, man, respect. Of course, respect. The kind of respect you show a fellow manager, you know, when you you gouge your thumb into his eye from behind when he's not looking, that kind of respect? Or is it the kind of respect when you call another manager a voyeur, a fairly loaded term? Or is it the kind of respect that you show a highly qualified medical professional who is just doing her job, following the rules to the letter, the way she should have, but as she runs onto the pitch, you call her a daughter of a whore. That kind of respect? Is that the sort of respect that you want? Because I think that's the kind of respect all of us could provide you after your 3-0 defeat the other night. This, folks, friends, podcast listeners, chums, I think this is going to be the best one yet. My suggestion is to uh, stock up on popcorn, because whatever's going to play out between Jose Mourinho, Ed Woodward, Manchester United, the Premier League, press conferences, TV interviews, I'm all for it. I'm telling you, I can't wait for this. It feels to me like that time in my life when I was six or seven and I'd just seen Star Wars and then there was this period where we knew Empire Strikes Back was coming out and you just couldn't wait. And that's the way I feel right now. I want that good, good stuff like a... A Man City player flying to Barcelona to get treatment on an injury. Just, you know, to get it straight into my veins. The train is in the station, folks. I think we should all get on board. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 1450 
Park Service from Manchester Piccadilly to Oblivion, stopping at Lonsville. Right, leaving that to one side for the moment. We will come back to it, don't worry, in the in the weeks ahead, as long as it's going to last. And I do hope it, it lasts another few weeks because I think we all deserve the good times. But we've got plenty to talk about, not least Mesut Ozil. He's in the spotlight this week. So I wanted to chat a bit about him and his Arsenal career and where he is right now and where he might go from here, as well as uh, the other stuff coming up, the Cardiff game, of course, and uh, the move of Reese Nelson, uh, the potential move, as we're recording to Hoffenheim on loan, which is an interesting development. So with me to discuss those things, first and foremost, Andrew Allen. Hello there. Good evening. And Tim Stillman. Hello to you. Hello there. Andrew, I'm going to come to you first on the subject of Mesut Ozil. There's been a lot said about him this week because of what may or may not have happened last weekend. And we can come to that a bit later on and discuss the the nuances of what's going on right now. But just going back to 2013, when... We signed Mesut Ozil on transfer deadline day, right at the deadline. It was hugely exciting. It felt uh, definitive in some way that something was changing at Arsenal. We were bringing in an established world star from one of the biggest clubs in the world. We were paying a club record transfer fee. I think it more than more than doubled, double and a half of what we'd ever paid for somebody before. Uh, and five years down the line, how do you assess the impact he's had on the club uh, and how do you assess his reputation I guess or standing after four seasons five seasons at Arsenal yeah I mean uh, look, I mean his his uh, performances on the pitch have definitely lacked consistency um, but I would say that the fact that we chose to keep him and to give him such a massive contract sort of maybe shows the the value of his name still um he's had patches where he's been very good there was that season where he you know had an incredible number of assists and he he kind of paired up with Olivier Giroud very well but he's really suffered as Arsenal have suffered and I think what we've come to realize is that Mesut Ozil isn't necessarily a player who's gonna get Arsenal playing Arsenal needs to play okay to get the best out of Mesut Ozil um where where does he stand now? Well, I mean, I, I still feel like that there were very few Arsenal fans that were disappointed that he was, you know, retained, especially given we lost Alexis Sanchez when we did. Um, I still think there's a fantastic player in there, uh, but he's going to need to be nurtured now. He's going through something of a personal crisis. Uh, he obviously, you know, played, played the long game when it came to contract negotiations. He and his agent have done very well to bag the deal that he's got, especially given uh, the wage structure at Arsenal. And with that comes a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny. Uh, and when you add the the kind of situation which has panned out over the summer at the national team level, I mean, he really has a, a lot to, to kind of, he has a lot on his plate at the moment. And um, I'm desperate to see us get the best out of him again, but it's going to be a tall order, I think, for Unai Emery, especially while his attention is kind of focused more on the team than on on individuals. Tim, the same question to you. From 2013 Mm. to now, Mesut Ozil's impact at Arsenal and what he's given to the club and what he's given to the team, has it been better or worse than you expected or somewhere somewhere in the middle? I'd say slightly worse, maybe. Uh, Worse being a relative term. Mm. I'd say he's been good, probably very good, but I think talent-wise he's excellent. Um, and I don't think he's been excellent quite enough. 
Um, I think Andrew makes a very good point that he's not the guy to turn your team around if they're not playing particularly well. I think the other thing I'd add to that is maybe Ozil is the player you sign to complete your team rather than the guy that you build everything around, you know, the first big building block. Um, I, I think maybe one of the other things we're seeing with Ozil a little bit as well is that He's, he's almost a player going out of fashion. Um, it's difficult when you look across Europe at a lot of the big clubs. Not many of them play with number 10s like Mesut Ozil. And it kind of it reminds me a little bit of maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, when um, strikers like Michael Owen, for example, who, who at that time in particular was a very good striker, but he was kind of going out of fashion. And uh, because striker, the role of striker had evolved and people were playing with one up front instead of two. And I think this is kind of what you're getting with Ozil as well. He's kind of that luxury number 10 and not many people play with a luxury number 10 anymore. Um, And I think this is also why there wasn't maybe there wasn't that much of a market for him last season when um, when his contract was coming up. You know, frankly, Arsenal gave him the best financial offer. They were in a position where they were losing Alexis Sanchez and they felt, I think, a little bit like they had to do that. And, you know, nobody was blowing us out of the water um, on on salary for him. And I, I don't think that's because he's a bad player. I think it's just because a lot of teams don't play with that type of player anymore. But if you're a club like Arsenal, I think that's just the kind of price you pay because if you, you know, if you want... For Arsenal to have top-level players, they kind of have to be slightly broken eggs. And we've seen this work before with the likes of Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, players who'd you know, perhaps gone to elite clubs and not quite done it. Um, or you know, a player like Alexis Sanchez, who's an elite-level player, but a bit like Ozil, it's difficult to fit him in because he's a bit... He's, he's a bit difficult to fit into a unit and that's what we're finding with Ozil at the moment. And so there are, there are some there are some kind of interesting things going on there and, and it's clearly a big challenge for Unai Emery at the moment. Andrew, uh, Tim made a point there about Mesut Ozil being the guy that you signed to complete your team. I had an email from somebody during the week, a guy called Andrew Franklin, who, who said, is Ozil just one of those who only shines when he has world-class players around him? For example, Sanchez. So when he's got the the quality around him that that brings out the best in his game, he's a guy who thrives, as he did maybe at Real Madrid when he had players like Ronaldo and other world-class players in midfield around him. Whereas at Arsenal, he was kind of expected to be the guy to carry some of the burden where he isn't really that guy. He's not a guy who should carry burden, you know, regardless of what what you think about players' responsibilities and their defensive work. And, you know, I think the whole thing about Ozil being lazy is is absolutely overblown. It's a fairly lazy trope, which isn't backed up by stats or anything like it. But it is it it's always struck me that he is a guy who who needs to be carried a little bit, for want of a better phrase. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, I think it was it was great for him at the time being able to share the the burden with Alexis Sanchez. You know, a guy who kind of was to a certain extent the kind of uh, on pitch antithesis of of Özil's style, right? I mean, there he was running around like a like a kind of crazy man, and Özil was slightly more languid. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's 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 a conundrum, I think, because. We have very good players, I feel, at, at Arsenal, but I, I feel like we've signed a lot of individuals and we haven't yet kind of really thought about the system. 
and you know looking around at the the change in 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 policy at the moment i'm i'm still struggling to see Unai Emery want to pick Ozil over Ramsey, over Iwobi, over Mkhitaryan players who seemingly demonstrate a little bit more energy on the pitch. I don't, I don't know what to make. His illnesses uh, are interesting, whether they're actual illnesses, whether they're uh, if he's being afforded time off for, for other reasons. Um, but he's uh, he's someone who needs to kind of sort of snap out of it, really. I guess at the moment. Tim, can he sn- snap out of it, so to speak, at 29 years of age? I think we we, we would accept, uh, most people anyway, that he was given a bit more rope than other players from mm. Arsene Wenger. I remember very uh, clearly a couple of years ago, there was one of those soccer AM things where they answer questions about, you know, who's, who does this, who does that. And the, the question was teacher's pet. Who is the teacher's mm. pet? And Ramsey said... Um, Mesut Ozil. He's always in Arsene's office, always looking for a day off here and a day off there. <laughs> and he inevitably got his days off here and there. Um, and that, yeah. in one way, could be perceived as smart man management because you have a guy mm. who is of that character, who doesn't respond to the kick up the arse thing, who needs the arm around the shoulder, who needs to feel a bit special or indulged in order to get the best out of him that's the way you kind of have to treat him like you know Mm. it's hard to imagine Mesut Ozil thriving under George Graham for example um (laughs) but on the other hand it creates a creates precedents which when things change are perhaps difficult for him to take yeah definitely I think we're going to find that out very shortly aren't we because um it kind of sounds like um uh, and and like you said, to to an extent that 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 smart man management um, that's gone on since the beginning of time. Herbert Chapman used to do it with Alex James. He used to let him have his duvet days and turned a blind eye to him being out two or three o'clock in the morning because um, he got his best performances out of him that way. But there's there's spectrums with these things. Um, we can only speculate, but it sort of seems like um, we possibly went too far on the indulgence spectrum. There was that period in his second season, wasn't there, when he was playing out kind of on the left wing. We had all of these midfielders who all wanted to play in the centre and Ozil went out to the left. And there's a perfectly reasonable argument that that's not where you get the best out of him. But he had not quite a sulk, but lots of lots of stories came out in the papers saying he doesn't really want to play on the wing. He's far better as a number 10. Yeah. And uh, he he, never, he basically never played there again after that. It it kind of sounds like he got his way, um, which again you can you can read that as a good thing because he, he certainly for himself as an individual playing as a number ten definitely gets the best out of him and therefore that gets the best for Arsenal as well. But I I think we've probably seen this week that there's been maybe a bit of a challenge there. Um, with the manager, maybe he doesn't quite like the way things are going now. Maybe he's just had the rug slightly tugged from under him. Um, but it's a it's a very very difficult situation because he's just been given such a huge contract. Um, nobody else wanted to give him that money in January, and frankly, 
um, his stock hasn't really risen since. So if we were trying to create a market for him to go, mm. if he was going going to be one like a casualty of the Emery era, as it were, and there will be a big casualty or two, that's natural in this kind of organisational change. It it kind of it almost pits him against the manager and says you're seeing this power dynamic with Manchester United at the moment. Not that I'm suggesting we're that far down the road, where there's a couple of players there who look like they're kind of saying I'll last here longer than you will. Um, so yeah, I'll sign my contract. I'll I'll stay here because you'll be gone in a couple of months, and I won't have to worry about you. Yeah. Now, I'm not suggesting we're that far down the line, but it, it looks like what we've had is maybe a little bit of um, a line in the sand uh, somewhere, maybe a little bit of butting of heads. But I, I don't necessarily think that has to be a massive crisis right now. I think that's that's quite natural. Whether Özil can adapt is it's a really, really interesting question. Whether he should is a really, really interesting question because as much as Emery wants to get his feet under the table and wants his own team, at the same time, Arsenal have spent two years outside the Champions League. They can't afford any more transition. They have to get back in and they have to do it this season. And so isolating a player like Ozil probably isn't as big an option as it might have been maybe if we'd have made this change a year or two ago. So... Um, whether can he change? I'm not sure at the age of 29. I think the question, rightly or wrongly, is more how you know how much is Emery willing to compromise? That's an interesting one. I'm just going to stick with you on this one. When you say whether he should change or not, that's a, a question. Gary Neville was on the Monday Night Football talking about Unai Emery and saying, look, uh, you know, he, d- he can't change. He's trying to imprint this style on the players. He's trying to get them to do a specific job. And that, that's not just playing out from the back. It's all of the players. It's about joining up the, the various areas of the pitch with the work that they're doing, with the pressing game. You improve us defensively if you press better from the front with more organisation. And obviously being part of that uh, that front three probably is, is where Ozil fits or, or maybe in the midfield three, there's still a job to do in there. Um, mm. You know, Ramsey and Ozil have played in that position. And in terms of uh, how much of the ball they've seen in the opening three games, it's it's markedly less than you would have expected. The 15 passes that, o- that Ozil made uh, in the was it the Chelsea game is is an mm. incredible thing, and I don't think that's because Mesut Ozil was hiding. It wasn't because he was um, didn't want the ball. He never doesn't want the ball. It's just the fact that the game, mm. the way we were playing the game, passed him by. So, is it a case that Emery has to use the resources at his disposal better, or is it a case that Mesut Ozil himself has to adapt to what Emery wants? And if he can't, then we have to go in a different direction, as difficult as that might be with the contract that he has. Yeah, I, what I, I, I guess I'd probably like to see at the very least here. I mean, what I'd really like is for Mesut Ozil to just say, yes, boss, uh, to, you know, yes, boss, no boss, three yeah. bags, full boss. Yep, I'll do what you say. I'm not sure how likely that is, but I would at least like to see maybe some level of compromise. The interesting thing for Ozil is um, at the moment, our, our very, very obviously, our most creative um, kind of outlet is down that right-hand side between Mkhitaryan and Bellerin. And at this particular moment in time, it would be foolish to break that up because those two players have by far and away created more chances than anyone else. So there's an argument that Ozil can't even go on the right at the moment, which is where some people maybe saw him for some games this season. Um, I, I think personally, the way maybe I would play it 
is that for games like Sunday against Cardiff and for most home games, I'd say, do you know what? We're going to have all of the ball. Let's just have Ramsey at number eight, Ozil at number 10, Aubameyang on the left, Lacazette up front, Mkhitaryan on the right. And, you know, just go from there, basically. It's slight, It's maybe slightly lopsided. It's not totally balanced. But there's so much firepower there, I think it will blow most teams away. Um, and Ozil tends to be at his best in games like that anyway. I think where the question comes is more for some of the tougher away games, maybe. Um, where where do we accommodate Ozil, if at all? Do we just put him on the bench mm. for Man City um, away and say, sorry, you can't play the way that we're going to need you to play today. We'll have you as an impact sub. Um, personally, I'd, I'd be all right with that. Um, I, I think that's a decent way to go. I know that it's, strictly speaking, not a great use of resource to have a £350,000 a week player sitting on the bench for your biggest games. But I, I kind of think those are the cards we've been dealt and we've we've got to go with it. Um, and he rarely makes much of an impression on those games anyway. So mm. I think that's maybe the way I'd play it. I'd say, you know, have like 60, 70 percent of the games in your favorite position. Um, we'll put all of these great forwards in front of you. Go and have some fun. But when it comes to, you know, Spurs away, Liverpool away, um, we're going to sit you on the bench. Uh, it's an interesting idea certainly not one I would be uh, necessarily against you know and I have to say I'm still a fan of Ozil and his talent Mm. I'm just you know and and I think like Andrew said he has had a hard time and I think what's been going on with the with the German Football Federation and the 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 straw man arguments that are coming out left right and centre about how there's no racism in the team which is clearly not what he said you know that's got to be a difficult thing to deal with but um, Andrew he is now or should be fully focused on Arsenal. Um, is it a worry to you that something has happened? And I think we have to accept that something happened last weekend. If you want to believe it was just illness, fine. I think there's more to this story than we're being uh, let known publicly anyway. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, clubs keeping things in house is, is no bad thing. But, you know, if we look at the, the period when he signed the contract last January to the time that Arsene Wenger left, you know, I'm not going to say that Arsene Wenger lost the dressing room, but the fact that he left was no surprise to anybody. And players, not just Mesut Ozil, were kind of going through the motions during that period, uh, the last period of last season. The start of a new season, you come back from the World Cup, It's it's been a disaster for you personally. It's been a disaster um, for Germany. Uh, again, I think Ozil was um, wrongly pointed out as one of the key reasons that it went wrong. I think he became a lightning rod for the criticism when, in fact, there were others who who need to share, uh, take more of the blame, actually. You know, when you look at some of the chances that he made that they didn't score, that would have made a difference in, in key games. But he's come back. He's got a brand new number. He's got the number 10 that he wanted. Uh, You know, he's been welcomed back into the Arsenal family. He seems a very popular guy around the club with the players. Is it a worry to you that something has happened this soon into the to the Unai Emery era? Or is it maybe is it maybe a case of, okay? it's better to get this out of the way now so we can deal with it and hopefully uh, put it behind us and move in the right direction? Um, well, I mean, he's been welcomed back into the Arsenal family, but, you know, the mother figure, Wenger, is not there. So mm. he's he's spent the summer uh, having a terrible, you know, time of things, I guess, you know, 
you go from World Cup winner to 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 what Germany, you know, what happened to Germany, and really you're 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 looking at the guy and you're thinking it must be unbelievable pressure to be the talking point, not just of one nation, but effectively three, right? I mean, the conversation about what happened in Germany is happening in Germany, it's happening in Turkey, it's happening in the UK. Um, left, right and centre, people from you know, Joe Bloggs on the street to to high-level politicians, world leaders are having their say, using you. You've also, you know missed out on a bit of pre-season training. You've come back to a new regime where everything's kind of changed. You've got probably being, you're probably being asked to play a slightly different game and you're thrown into things. And immediately with a 350,000 pound contract, which you, you know, signed not too long ago, Mm. the focus is really on you. And I think a combination of factors like that, you can almost forgive the fact that he's having a bit of a wobble. Now, Yes, I accept that there probably has been some kind of falling out between him and Emery. But I mean, Jesus, I mean, who doesn't have a falling out with someone in a you know position of authority in the workplace from time to time? I mean, it just happens, right? You fall out, you get over it, you get on with things again. And I kind of feel like that's where we've got to get to. The team is not settled at the moment. It's pretty obvious. I mean, we're, we're desperately trying to play a certain style. We're learning the ropes. And um, you're looking at Ramsey, you're looking at Iwobi, you're looking at Mkhitaryan. I mean, I guess Mkhitaryan's playing the games, but Embry's sort of testing things at the moment. He's not quite sure which of the players he has at his disposal are the ones that are going to play the system the best. I'm willing to give him a bit of patience. I just, we need a bit of momentum in the season, really. I want to see him play a few games. I want to see the, the team come together a little bit more. I think if we're still having this debate at Christmas, then we've got some problems. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, I do. And one of the other criticisms, I suppose, that's levelled at Ozil uh, fairly regularly is his uh, his impact in big games. And I did a quick look at the stats here. He's played Man United, played against Man United eight times, scored two goals, two assists. Man City eight times, uh, no goals, four assists. Chelsea nine times, one goal, no assists. Liverpool seven times, two goals, one assist. Spurs eight times, one goal and two assists. He's had two wins against United, one win against City, one against Chelsea. This is Premier League only, by the way. Two against Liverpool, one against Spurs. He's lost, and when I say he, Arsenal, when he's in the team, have lost three uh, against United, five against City, five against Chelsea, two against Liverpool, three against Spurs. So, Tim... We can look at that and say Ozil probably hasn't delivered as much in those big games as we would have liked. Mm. But how far can we divorce ourselves from uh, the overall quality of the team in the last few Mm. seasons and what Mesut Ozil has contributed to that team? It is a difficult one. Yeah. It is, and actually those numbers were a little bit healthier than I was expecting, um, maybe, with with because I suppose because this kind of uh, this narrative exists that he never does anything in big games. Mm. Um, I, I think what's notable is it kind of sounds like Liverpool and Spurs, who are typically quite high-pressing teams, those are the games he really struggles in. And against, you know, against Man City um, and Man United, his, his numbers sound a little bit better. Um, I'd be interested, and I'm not suggesting you do it now or, or that I try and do it now, but I'd be interested in the split between home and away. Um, I'd, I'd probably guess most of those have come at the Emirates. Um, but you're right, when when set against the results, those numbers actually aren't that bad. And I, I'd bet that he's 
probably posting better numbers than pretty much anyone else in our squad um, in those games. But it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, doesn't it? In terms of uh, Ozil's not Ozil's not like the rising tide that lifts all boats. You know, he's he's the guy that if the team's playing if the team's playing well, he'll play really well, and if the team's playing badly, he'll probably just be quite average. But when Mesut Ozil is average, it looks terrible because of his talent. Um, so uh, actually, those numbers are slightly better than I thought. However, I think we. You know, you can't get away from the fact that we lose something off the ball when we play Ozil. And 90% of the time, that's not a huge problem. But in these games, it is. So there is a kind of hidden price that we pay in those games. And and I think, given the numbers he's posting, that price is possibly a little bit too high. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, well, look, we'll see what uh, Unai Emery does this weekend. We might just talk a little bit about the Cardiff game uh, in in a couple of minutes' time, but I just want to talk about one of the other stories this week, which is Reese Nelson, Andrew, who, um, at the time of recording anyway, we believe is going to go to Hoffenheim on loan after signing a new deal with Arsenal. That is the the situation as we understand it. Um, It's an interesting move because first people thought it was going to be a permanent move and it was going to be another one of the young players that we have leaving um, without tying them down to, to a new contract. There seems to be a little bit of a trend going on with young English players going abroad, particularly from the, the top clubs, going abroad, looking for first-team football, regular first-team football there, because they kind of understand or they're beginning to understand that while you might have a fantastic lifestyle as a, a Premier League player at under-23 level at one of the big clubs, you're getting paid really good money. You're not developing properly as a footballer. And Nelson is a really, really talented individual. And I say this knowing that so few of these highly rated young players that come through actually make the grade uh, and go on to have a successful career. We've invested uh, time and energy and love in in lots of these young players and, and most of them haven't done it. But it would have been a shame, I think, if we'd lost Nelson without getting him down to, to a new deal. Your thoughts on on what it might mean for him and perhaps what it might mean for us this season as well because he is somebody who might have played in the Europa League and in the Carabao Cup. 
Yeah, I mean, I think actually on that front, it's going to be a bit of a loss because he got something like 16 appearances last season. Mm. Um, he really did play a lot of football in the in the cup and and particularly in the in the Europa League uh, earlier stages, at least. Um, look, he's obviously a real talent. He's a skillful player. He has pace. Um, these are some of the, you know, given that he plays, you know, on the wing, these are some of the qualities we're crying out for. We need to nurture this kind of talent. But right now, I don't feel that Unai Emery is in a position to necessarily afford the younger guys in the squad the minutes that they might desire to 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 improve their improve their game right now while he's trying to get to grips with everybody on the first team i mean if you can barely make a place uh for for mesa Urz on the team then real reese nelson's up against it right well he can make one um, for for ganduzi yeah i mean i mean look don't get me wrong i mean i'm as surprised as anybody by the way this guy's kind of come in i think mm. even emery's i mean he said it himself he's surprised at the the talent this guy has and and the the, the type of game that he plays. But before I go off on a tangent, I mean, for, for Nelson, I think the opportunity to play um, in a, in a top four European league, potentially get regular football, um, a league that let's say on the surface is probably slightly less physical than in the, uh, in England um, is a, is a, is a, a real opportunity. I mean, he, he reminds me a bit of Serge Nabry, although I think Serge Nabry is a bit more physical, but mm. I mean, Nabry went back to Germany and has made, uh, made a pretty big statement. Um, in terms, I mean, he's good friends with Jordan Sancho. I think this is something you wrote about this morning. Um, a guy who at, at Dortmund is having a storming start to the season. And, um, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a great opportunity for him uh, a real learning opportunity for him. And and I guess from Arsenal's point of view, you want to see him get 20, 25 games and, and then come back next season and be a real kind of like, you know, a real option on the on a wide position. Um, in terms of the trend itself, I think it's I think it's interesting that English players are going abroad. I mean, it feels like a lot more are going abroad than probably are. Obviously, we had Chris Willock uh, go to Benfica. Steffi Mavadidi went off to Juventus recently. Marcus um, McGuane went to Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean... The, Kalen Hines, of, didn't he? He went to, to Wolfsburg. Yeah, and look, the, the club has actually made a policy in the last couple of years. I know that um, someone like Gideon uh, Zelalem, for example, uh, said that Andres Jonker, when he was heading up the academy, made a very specific decision to try and send more players to the Dutch league where he felt that they would be able to get a little bit more room on the ball, um, still taste high level football, but potentially learn from their mistakes in an environment which wasn't so high pressure, one that they were probably less likely to get injured in um, and that there were, you know, tangible benefits there. Um, I, I, I think there must also be a lure on their part, which is, you know, these are not low profile games. You know, they're still going to be on the radar of, you know, Gareth Southgate or the rest of the England setup. So it's, 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 it's good for them. It really is. I'm kind of, I'll be curious to see what happens to him. My only shame is that I don't even know where you watch German football on UK TV these days. I don't know either. I think you probably have to have a subscription to the 19th rights holder <laughs> to like, you've got to pay so many subscriptions these days to get all the football that you want. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on this one and on mm. young players going abroad and you know I think we've seen a little bit of a change haven't we this season with this um, checker trade trophy that the Arsenal under 18s or under 21s are involved in which I think is is probably going to be very beneficial for for these young players and if people don't know you've got to play we've got to play our under 21 team 
against established professional teams in League One and Two, made up of, you know, mm. good players, grizzled veterans, guys who've been around the block a little bit, guys who know the game inside out, guys who can, if they really want to, you know, eat up these young, talented players who may or may not, I'm, I'm not saying it's true of all of them, but may need to get taken down a peg or two in terms of their, in terms of what they think they mm. can do on a football pitch. It's, it's really no bad thing for a player to learn playing regular football because there is only so far you can develop playing against people of the same age or at the same level at under 23 level yeah absolutely I, my read on this is that um this is good for reese nelson this will be a really good experience hoffenheimer in the champions league yeah. as well um, i think they've just been drawn in the same group as manchester city um and if his opportunities are more plentiful there then i completely understand the attraction for him i reading between the lines i would guess because there's been some toing and froing over this contract my guess would be that Arsenal didn't really want him to go, but maybe he made that a condition of signing the contract mm. um, and that this is something of a negotiation. I think it's kind of a shame for Arsenal because we've got the Europa League group stage. We've got the Carabao Cup. In the first half of the season, you tend to see these young players used a little bit more. But if you're Reese Nelson, you probably think, well, I had the Europa League group stages last year. I've done that, um, albeit he did it at right wing back. Um, whereas this time I think he'd have a better chance of playing in the front three where he'd want to play. But, you know, fair play to him if he's thought, you know, I, ha I had the Carabao Cup, I had the Europa League next year, it's time to make the next step. I completely understand that. And I think there are clear there will be clear benefits to Arsenal for him going away for a year to, you know, really, you know, a top four German club like Hoffenheim. Um, I hope he gets to play there. Um, because they are a good team and they mm. do have some good players. I, I hope he's not going to go there and only play 10 games or so because that won't really be worth it. Um, I, I think in terms of a lot of these young players going to Germany, I think it's great. I think Germany is a fantastic environment for um, these kind of young English players. It's, you know, it's not too far from home and... You know, if you've ever been to Germany, most people speak fantastic English. Um, so while you're learning the language, uh, and, and, you know, I think players should learn the language when they go out there. It, it That makes the acclimatization a little bit easier. Most of these places like Hoffenheim's probably less than an hour and a half on a Ryanair. So, you know, coming home and stuff like that and seeing families, not not such a huge deal. And the Bundesliga, I think, is fairly similar to the Premier League. But what? What we're really seeing with the Bundesliga, and you can see this in the German national team, is the way they treat um, young academy products. is It's it's up there with the best in the world, and that's why Germany keep producing these great squads, even though they've got a pretty terrible manager. Um, he kind of keeps his job because he just gets everything on a silver platter. Um, they they keep bringing through these great young talents, and it's because they've kind of industrialised um, academy production. And and if some of the young English players who are struggling to get game time because of all the money in the Premier League, you know, they're probably going to the best place in the world, and it's about an hour away on the plane. Um, they experience a little bit of a different culture, maybe a different language, slightly different, you know, slightly different style of play, but not really, really different from England. I, you know, I think it's great. So I, I think it's a slight shame for Arsenal, not least because we don't have many players like Reese Nelson. We don't have many kind of enterprising take people on type wingers. But um, I, it, were I him, I would probably make this move. 
Yeah, I think I would too. And I think what's overlooked as well is not just the football benefits, but just the life experience of going somewhere else and seeing a different culture. And, you know, I get it. Germany's not that different from... Uh, from the UK, really, you know, we're not talking worlds apart here, but it is different and there are different things and there's something to be said for, you know, going out on your own and and just taking that step. I think it, it will be beneficial for him one way or the other, whether he makes it at Arsenal or not. Uh, I, I think it's a good move for him. So hopefully we can get him tied down to that new contract and then we can send him out on loan. Andrew, we're playing Cardiff this weekend um, on Sunday. One of the uh, Sunday early Sunday kickoffs are going to have to get used to a lot of those when the Europa League kicks in, of course. Um, in terms of the team, based on what you saw against West Ham, what changes would you make for this game against Cardiff at the weekend? Um, well, I think Alex Lacazette is probably going to be knocking on the manager's door asking what he has to do to, to get a, a, a start. I think if this game was at home, I think there'd be a fairly high chance that he might give him a go. I think given that it's away from home, I think there's a chance that Guendouzi may drop to the bench. I think Torreira might come in. I think he might look for, you know, just to give Torreira now a bit of a run of games. Um, I'll be curious to see how he how he gets on. Cardiff will be quite a partisan home crowd. Um so with Torreira and, and Jacker kind of sitting at the at the base, I can imagine that he may even stick with Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, Ramsey uh, and Abamyang. I don't actually see him shaking things up too much. Um, I think Ozil will probably be on the bench, uh, even if he's deemed to be 100% fit. Uh, and we'll look to try and get something out of him. Who knows when? I mean, these days the substitutions come kind of at any time. So, yeah, I don't I don't think there'll be too much in the way of changes. He seems relatively settled on the idea of Socrates and Mustafi at the back, even though the two of them are, you know, a curious couple. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, Bellerin, Bellerin seems to be in, enjoying his sort of darting runs upfield, if not, you know, benefiting. He, he could probably do with a little bit more of uh, someone in front of him when play seems to open up and we're on the we're on the defense um but no I, I i it's weird looking back at that west ham game i felt more deflated after that than i kind of did after the first two games because i guess it was the first time when i really expected the team to sort of really come together and it didn't really happen it kind of really felt to me like a reminder that this is going to be quite a difficult season where we really are learning on the job the fairly high chance that we're going to um get caught out on the break quite regularly. And that's not that different to what happened last year. We're just doing it in a slightly more weird way. Um, but no, I don't expect too many changes ahead of the Cardiff game. Tim, two questions. Well, the first one is what changes you might see him making. Um, and the frequency with which we conceded chances against West Ham, particularly in the opening 50 55 minutes until Lucas Torreira came on and I'm not saying Torreira made everything uh, a-okay but I think mm. I think he made it better uh, in yeah, terms yeah. of in terms of the way we were organized and the way we had people covering space that we didn't have when we conceded most of those chances to to West Ham uh, is is Torreira Xhaka the partnership that you would go to for a few games to see if that can have an effect on on the way we defend. And it is, as we said earlier, a part of 
what leaves us open. I think Aaron Ramsey said this after the West Ham game. He says one of the things they've got to get used to is he wants us to press high up the pitch, but it does leave us open elsewhere. So there's a bit more coordination required. Um, is that a change that you would be happy to see? I I would do that in the future. I wouldn't do it for this game. I, I would play Torreira. Yeah. And the reason I played Torreira is, um, so I, I looked at the stats from Cardiff's game against Huddersfield. Until Huddersfield had a player sent off, Huddersfield had 72% of the ball. So Cardiff went to Huddersfield and sat back and were prepared to have 28% possession. So I'm not expecting um, that pattern to change too much. I think the reason I definitely play Torreira is what Cardiff like doing is going from front to back very quickly. And if we're going to have a lot of the ball and we're very high up, what they're going to do is they're just going to try and plant the ball into that green grass behind the centre halves. And so I'd quite like Torreira on there just because he's got a bit of athleticism and because he can cover for the full backs and almost become a bit like a third centre half um, while everyone else is kind of camped up the pitch. So maybe in the next couple of weeks after the international break, I would try and settle on Torreira and Jacka a bit. Um, on this occasion, I'd do what I said earlier. I'd play Ramsey 8, Ozil 10, Aubameyang and Lacazette and uh, just try and overpower them. I think Ozil will come back in. Um, so you think he's, he's some... going to play a midfield two of Ramsey and Torreira? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's hard to read what he will do because we don't know we don't know him well enough. Yeah, that's possibly what I'd do, and I could see that. Um, I think he will bring Özil back in, even though something definitely happened mm-hmm. in the build-up to the West Ham game. I, I don't necessarily think it's a massive drama yet. And if it was likely to be a really, really long-term thing, I don't think Arsenal would have said he had a cold because that's like one game at mm. the most. If they really, if this was a really <laughs> long-term thing, they wouldn't have put up the pictures of him training and it would have been, oh, he's had a recurrence of his back injury. They'd have protected him from this game. Then you've got the international break and obviously he's not playing for Germany anymore and it goes away. They haven't done that. They've yeah. said it's a cold. He was in the dressing room before the game last week. So I, I don't necessarily think at the moment we've got like a really really big problem there just maybe a bit of a flare-up so I, I expect him to play um and yeah I'd play him number 10 and yeah with with the way Cardiff are going to play I think we're going to need quite a lot of firepower and I just have Torreira holding it together at the base just to kind of tidy things up but we're going to have a lot of the ball but they're going to be very very difficult to break down mm. um and I think since we're not balanced and we're not going to be balanced for at least a few months, I think just putting all of our best attackers on the pitch is, is probably a good antidote to that. Hmm. I, you know, I, I'm very firmly of the opinion that Aaron Ramsey could play as part of that midfield too with, mm-hmm. with uh, Lucas Torreira. And I think Ramsey's best performances and best periods as an Arsenal player have come when he has played in that position alongside somebody who can use the ball and who can read the game well. So Mikel Arteta, for example, was, you know, not your archetypal defensive midfielder. He's not like Torreira, but he was a guy who could read the game and he was good on the ball. Ramsey could do a lot of running, uh, pick the ball up, get into areas, and he knew that he wasn't going to get left behind. Whereas I think uh, Granite Xhaka, for example, and, and Aaron Ramsey isn't a partnership that necessarily works because I don't think Xhaka has the discipline or the defensive awareness or the ability to read the game to get the best out of Ramsey. So I, I wouldn't I be... Think it- 
I think it works from an attacking point of view, though. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Ramsey's best goal-scoring seasons have come alongside mm-hmm. Arteta and last season alongside Xhaka. And I think that's just because they use the ball well and it takes the pressure off of Ramsey because Ramsey's not a player who wants to be part of the build-up. He wants to be on the end of things. So having a midfielder that uses the ball really well actually suits him because it means he can make runs and not have to worry about the ball. But it's not... With Xhaka, it's not defensively solid, basically. Mm. All right, well, I think it's one of those games that you would really expect Arsenal to pick up three points in, you know, taking into account that everything's still up in the air and we're we're finding our feet under Unai Emery and he's finding his feet about the players. I think it'll be disappointing going into an international break without uh, without picking up three points. So we'll keep fingers crossed for that. But Tim, thank you as ever. My pleasure as always. And Andrew, thanks a million. Thanks very much. Thank you very much indeed to the lads. You can find them on Twitter, of course. Andrew is at A. Allen Sport. And Tim is at Stillberto, and you can read Tim's column every Thursday on arsblog.com. And Andrew is all day, every day, slaving over the stove of Arsblog News, which has a shiny new URL, if you didn't know. It's arsblog.news, which is quite cool and quite funky. We have covered the Cardiff game. We don't have any team news yet because Unai Emery hasn't had his press conference at the time of recording. I think it's happening, well, I presume it's happening today, today being Friday. So we'll get some team updates. You can find all those updates and all the injury news and all the bits and pieces from the press conference on Arsblog News. And of course, uh, at the weekend, we will have a live blog for the game. If you've never followed the live blog, you can check it out at arsblog.live. We're full of funky URLs, let me tell you. So if for some reason, for example, on Sunday, you're expected to do things with like the family and go for dinner or church or whatever that might be and you can't see the game just load up arsblog.live forward slash live blog on your phone and we'll have like text commentary there up to the second text commentary along with uh, all the goal clips and uh, all that kind of stuff as well all the match reports the stats the player ratings and everything else will be over on arsblog news after the game as usual and uh, james and i will be here on monday a little bit later than usual on monday it won't be Monday morning. It'll be Monday afternoon before we can get the Arscast Extra for you. But hopefully we're talking about three points going into an international break, which is uh, fantastic, not least because uh, I'm actually going on holiday next week. So after a, a fairly busy summer, it'll be good to get away for a few days to the land of Hamon Ruffles. Yes, I'll catch you for the Arscast Extra. So let's keep fingers crossed for a good result this weekend. And until Monday, take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye. Srinjo Srinjo Because we deserve Srinjo What is this? What? What is this? So what? Why? Srinjo Because we deserve Srinjo Keep trying and trying and trying and keep trying Srinjo
because we were not good. Srinya. Respect, man. Respect, respect. Srinya. Do you know what was the result? Srinya. Three premierships. And I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers why do you look at me? deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.